Let me pray as we turn to this great book of Jonah. Our God and King, we ask that you might speak to us this morning. We pray that we might not be like Jonah, that hears your word and flees the other way. We pray that we might hear your word, that it might sink deeply in us, that it might transform and rearrange parts of our lives and our hearts and our thinkings and our actions so that we might better reflect you, the one true God. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I, uh, I hope it's not a secret. Uh, I'm, uh, have a secret that's, uh, I'm really excited for this series. Uh, even as I've been kind of diving in, I've just kind of been filled with more and more excitement. Um, uh, and that's because Jonah is somewhat, it's not quite unique, but it is definitely one of the more unique books in the Bible. Um, put your hand up if you are familiar with the book of Jonah. Okay, most people. Great. I wasn't expecting so many people in the Presbyterian Church to raise your hands, but well done. You passed. And uh, it's, look at this. Someone's going to throw something at me already. Uh, but uh, the, as long as you don't throw me overboard, we're okay. Um, uh, what, what, why is it that we're so familiar with the book of Jonah? What is it you're familiar with? Someone? The fish tail. The fish tail, that's right, yeah, that's right, exactly, the fish. In fact, as we're putting together the, the graphic, the slide behind us, um, uh, it was difficult to think of how do we do a slide on Jonah that just isn't a fish and water. Uh, that's because that's what we know the book of Jonah to be about, and yet the fish actually only occurs in Jonah for two sentences. You see, the book of Jonah, this is kind of part of the kids' church issue, is the book of Jonah is far more than just a tale about a fish. It's about a man, and it's about a city, and it is about a God. Most commentators would agree uh, that... uh, that the book of Jonah actually is a tale, it's a story that is masterfully put together and it's put together in such a way that kind of challenges our stereotypes. Uh, It kind of fits in what is our modern category of satire. So um, things like The Simpsons or The Family Guy, things like shows like The Office or Between Two Ferns, they're examples of satire. And what satire does is it kind of takes things that we do in our society, in our life, in your life, in my life, and it shows it in such a way that you realise just how silly and foolish it is. Right, Carl Barron is is, is an expert at this, and so he will have great lines like, you know... He's like, oh, I was with a friend the other day and it was late at night and he said, and my mate just said, oh, I think I'm going to call it a night. And I thought, isn't it already called a night? And you laugh and then you kind of go, why do I say that? 
and you realize just how silly and stupid some of the things we do and say are. And this is what the book of Jonah is meant to do for us. You see, the book of Jonah is a book that caricaturizes Jonah is representative in so many ways of the covenant people of God. And he is displayed in this book in such a way that we realize the worst tendencies that seem to arise within the people of God. Firstly, Israel, and then now this side of Jesus in the church. You see, Israel originally was called to be a prophet to the nations. That's what God had called them to be, a prophet to the nations, and yet Israel seemingly runs the other way. And so we see in this book, it holds a mirror up to us and we see things like our own pride or our own hard-heartedness. We see things in Jonah like judgmentalism or apathy towards others. We're challenged by our own inability to grow and change and to let God's grace surprise us. And the aim of the book of Jonah is that we might see such things and in seeing such things displayed in such a way in Jonah that we might realise just how inconsistent they are with the God that we follow. And so repent and change. Let's start off verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And already we have kind of a comedic punchline here. Uh, Jonah, son of Amittai, literally means, the Hebrew literally means dove, innocent one, son of faithfulness. And we're meant to laugh at this because who is the least faithful character in the whole book? Jonah. Um, Jonah is the one who, uh, verse 1, right, and the word of the Lord comes to Dove, innocent one, son of faithfulness. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah runs the other way. Son of faithfulness. Right? It's like kind of saying, ah, Israel, the people of faithfulness. And it's like, well, have you read the Old Testament? Because Israel kind of gets it right for about two sentences in this whole book. Son of faithfulness. And he runs the other way. Uh, Jonah, if you will, while Matt shared the poem, The Hound of Heaven, if God is the Hound of Heaven, Jonah is the three-year-old of earth. 
Because if you've ever seen a three-year-old, you've seen a parent chasing after a three-year-old, right? People say kids, uh, they crawl, then as soon as they learn to walk, you learn to run. Right? I learned very quickly uh, that um, my children have a tendency to go after sharp, hot, or fast-moving things. Knife, knife, no, no, not knife. Right? Dog, no, not dog. Not across the road even, right? Like, Jonah runs the other way. And initially we might not fault him. Because what's, where is he called to go? He is called to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire at the time was um, the most brutal and destructive, cruelest empire at the time. They historically uh, were known for um, leaving whole plains, fields littered with corpses and cities burnt completely to the ground. They are most famous for taking the leaders of their enemies and skinning them alive in public. You'd be pleased to know I don't have a slide for that. And we might initially go, no wonder Jonah runs. Right? You're sent to go to those people? To go into the heart, the belly of the beast. And to tell them that judgment is coming upon them? How are they going to treat you? Until that is that we see in chapter 4 that what Jonah doesn't run because he's scared. In chapter 4 we find out this. He runs, here we are. He runs, why? Uh, Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's chapter 1. That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents, from sending calamity. Why does Jonah run? He runs not because he's scared of Nineveh, but because he knows that God is a gracious and loving God who will relent from judgment if only they ask for mercy. It is not fear that causes Jonah to run, but rather judgmentalism and a sense that they don't deserve God's mercy. When we see calendars and sunsets, when we see calendars with sunsets or fields of flowers that say, I know, Lord, you are gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, we never think that those words are meant to be have a tone of anger behind them. 
and yet in Jonah they are angry words. That Jonah fails to identify himself with the Ninevites. You see, in Jonah's perspective, it is Nineveh over there deserving judgment and he as part of the people of God, as part of Israel here, who have received God's mercy and to some degree deserve so, deserve to, he thinks. It is us versus them kind of thinking that's happening in Jonah's worldview. And this is one of the most significant flaws of Jonah. And it will come up each week, this kind of us versus them thinking. And it is all too common, both inside the church and outside the church. It's so unhelpful, right? Us versus them thinking, right? Happens in the church and outside the church. Happens in the political left and happens with the conservative right. Happens um, in marriages all the time, right? Like, I have an argument with my wife and then what happens? I go to the kitchen, I start washing up and in my head I just have this entirely us versus them thinking. Only she would listen to me and do this. I have done just all of this. And why is it? I'm always in the right and she's always in the wrong. It's alright, she's not here, she's at home. (laughs) And the failure to identify yourself as someone who is just like them, in desperate need to be washed and covered by mercy, just like them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his little book, Life Together, has this great line where he says, he says, when a brother or sister sins against me, he says, is it not an opportunity for me to rejoice that they too are saved by the grace of God and not by works just like me. I don't know about you, but I'm not that godly when someone sins against me. Is it not an opportunity, he says, for me to rejoice that they too, just like me, are saved by grace alone and not by works? Is it, when someone sins against me, is it an opportunity for me to go, how incredible it is that God has shown and praise God that he has shown mercy to them just like me? But this is not the heart of Jonah. And this, too often in our worst moments, is not our heart either. And so Jonah flees to Tarshish. And Tarshish is not just in the other direction, it's as far in the other direction as you can go. 
2,500 miles. Imagine saying to your teenager, we're going to church this morning and he heads 2,500 miles down south, right? Get like all the way to Sydney. <laughs> took, took some of you a little while. <laughs> heads in the complete opposite direction. So far, so desperate is he not to show God's mercy to pagans. And yet, the irony and the comedy of God and the book of Jonah is that he ends, he flees so far not to tell pagans about God, and yet what does he end up doing on the boat? Telling pagans about God. Verse 4, And the Lord sent... A great wind on the sea. Henry, can we can we throw verse four up here? Sorry, um, that'll be helpful. Thanks. Then the Lord sent a verse four. Verse four. Thanks, mate. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Literally, it's almost uh, uh, the Hebrew is more that the ship itself is kind of threatening. Hey, I'm going to break up, guys. Like the ship itself is threatening them. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck. Where's Jonah? He's laying down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your own God. Maybe he will take notice of us. And the irony is, why has the storm hit them? Because Jonah's God has taken notice of them. And the great tragedy as well is, what are the pagan sailors doing? They are calling on their own gods. And what is Jonah doing? He is asleep in the hull. And the captain says, call on your own God, and Jonah is notably silent. So much so that the sailors are the first ones in in chapter 1 to call out upon Yahweh. That the sailors, before the prophet, cry out to the Lord, And Jonah says, pick me up. Pick me up, verse 12, and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. And initially we wonder whether maybe Jonah is kind of taking ownership. Perhaps Jonah here is taking ownership of what he has done wrong. until we realise that he still hasn't called out to God, that he still hasn't expressed any repentance or regret, really. And in chapter 4, Jonah would say, I am so angry that you would show mercy to others, God. I wish I would just die. I would prefer to be dead than for your enemies to receive your mercy. And so it seems to be, and Hebrews again a bit clearer on this, it seems to be that, that Jonah is actually making a play here. 
that for Jonah, the throw me overboard is, well, if I can't escape to Tarshish, I'll go down deeper. I would rather die than tell God's enemies about his mercy. And so he's thrown overboard, thrown into the depths, but God is not done with Dove, son of faithfulness. And the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly three days and three nights. You see, for all of Jonah's flaws, for all of Jonah's hard-heartedness, for all of his judgmentalism, and for all of Jonah's self-centeredness, God is not done with him. That God doesn't just let him go on his own way. That God doesn't just say, fine, you don't, you don't want a piece of me? So be it. That God pursues him even down into the watery depths and sends a fish to swallow Jonah despite his rebellion and lack of faith. And so I think there are a few questions that as we read Jonah we need to ask and and that's this. We need to ask where do we have a tendency to be like Jonah. What characteristics is it that Jonah is displaying and where can I see that in my own heart and in my own life? And despite those characteristics, where, what is it that is revealed about the nature and character of God despite that. One of the songs that... uh, I have a a set playlist that I listen to whenever I write sermons. It just kind of helps me get in that kind of headspace. It's about seven or eight songs that just kind of go over and over again and again. One of those songs is the song Oceans by... Many of you know I was going to say by, I don't know who it's by. <laughs> Who's it by, Cat? Hillsong, there you go. There's a great, one of the opening lines is this. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where my feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, My faith will stand. But here is the question. What if God doesn't call you out upon the waters? What if you flee upon the waters to get away from him? What if your feet do fail? What if your faith won't stand. 
What then? He will still pursue you. That our God is the God who pursues and persists in showing mercy even to the most rebellious and hard-hearted of people. And that is good news to you and me. And that is good news for some of you who are parents here, who have children, that your hearts tremble and wonder and have real concerns about. And that is good news to some of you here who have parents who are aging and you're just, there's a sense of which, how do I have a conversation with them? Time's ticking away and yet at the same time, they just don't want to hear it. And you feel kind of this catch-22, like you're stuck. And for some of you, that's your spouse when you go home. And yet we have a God who loves the unlovely and delights in showing mercy, persistent, relentless mercy, even to those who flee from him. Let's pray. Lord, we find in Jonah 1 a prophet, a prophet who is willing to be thrown overboard to stop your enemies from hearing of your mercy. And we find in the story of Jesus a prophet, again, asleep in the hull, in the middle of the storm, and yet a faithful, greater Jonah, who is willing to be thrown into the depths of the grave, that we, those who flee and resist and give in to our selfish tendencies, might still receive mercy, might be called brother, might be called daughter, might be welcomed to the king's table and called friend. And we pray that you might challenge and convict us this morning of where we need to change and we pray that you might challenge and convict us of true hope, hope that is found in you, the God of mercy. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.